from the town of Athens to this place called Corinth. Interesting city, about five times as big as Athens and a city of about 750,000 people. Probably the size of St. Paul. And uh, you see up on the wall a map of Corinth and a very, very strategic place. If you notice where Corinth is, if you continue down, if you notice that it goes way out on a, almost a peninsula there, and if you were traveling through there by ship or trying to get to the other side, you'd have to go way out and all the way around that point. Now, in these days, there weren't 300-foot barges. The sailing vessels were 25 to 30 feet. They were simply sailing vessels, and it was very dangerous going out and around that point. <clears throat> and so, first they attempted to, if you notice where Corinth is there, it's, it's not very far across, and if they could just get across there, they could cut through and make it all the way across in the body of water on the other side of Corinth. They set about getting a group of slaves to dig that three-mile canal, and it was, the rock was too hard. And so eventually they gave up. And what they did was they built a wooden ramp. They greased it with animal lard, and they would take the ships up and they would slide them up across the ramp, down the other side, and it would take several days, but the ships would go across that way. And so Corinth became a very significant trading center. Imagine ships coming in. they got two to three days to kill. Uh, it's kind of party time, and it's also time to see the town, and so it was a very wealthy town. There was a lot of commerce, trading, a lot of busyness going on. There's also a lot of immorality going on. Every evening, there were a thousand prostitutes from the Temple of Aphrodite that would walk down into the town. Historians tell us that they wore clogs, and you can hear their click of the clogs through town. On one shoe, they had written the word follow, and on the other one, they had written the word me. And that was life in Corinth. That's what, that's what Paul experienced as he walked into town. There were fertility cults. It was... It was a lot of immorality. It was a very wealthy town. It was certainly a town with a lot of party life going on. In fact, the Romans said that just visiting Corinth would defile a person. And coming from the Romans, that was a pretty significant statement. In fact, when people in those days began to lose control, they would say they're being Corinthianized. And so, Paul here is in this city. He's there for over a year and a half. And in verses 5 and 6 there, we, we find that it says, Paul and Silas came from Macedonia. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But the Jews deposed Paul, became abusive. And so he shook his clothes and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm clear. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I have come to share this with you who are supposedly God-honoring, God-fearing men, but I'm going now to the crowd in this city. I'm going to the prostitutes. I'm going to the party people. I'm going to the immoral Gentile world in this community to share the gospel. And, and that is exactly what he did. 
In verses 7 and 8, this is kind of interesting. It says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And so, what happens is, Paul goes to the synagogue, and the ruler, the head guy of the synagogue, gets converted. He and his whole family, they leave, and, and Paul sets up shop right next door to the synagogue. So we've got people coming and going and, and people are being converted to Christianity right next door to the Jewish synagogue. And it tells us that many people responded. When the text says many people, that means many. I mean, that doesn't mean 10 or 20. That means hundreds of people responded. And so it's interesting that though this was a... And just a little side note here. This is a very immoral city, but people were responsive. As we live in an increasingly immoral culture, don't think that people are not responsive to spiritual things. In fact, they are often more responsive. It was the nominally religious that were resistant. But as people get away totally from God and they begin walking those roads, all of those roads have dead ends. And so eventually people start hitting those dead ends and people become open to the gospel. And so Paul is experiencing that here in his day. We're going to come back to verses 9 through 17. So I'll just skip over that for a moment. But just to make a note here, there's an interesting couple, Priscilla and Aquila. They got kicked out of Rome, as all the Christians did, because it seemed like wherever the Christians were, there were riots going on. And we've seen that over and over again. You know, the Jews start creating a mob against the Christians. And so the guys in Rome said, hey, we don't want this chaos in our town. Uh, the Christians are going to have to leave. And so Priscilla and Aquila are two of these people that got kicked out of Rome. Now they're over here. They are Christians, and they're seasoned Christians. They have some maturity to them. And so we see in verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus. Paul has taken this couple now where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So, here's the start of the church at Ephesus. So when you read the book of Ephesians, this is how that church got started. And really Priscilla and Aquila were the ones that Paul left there to develop that church. Well, here's a summary. Paul spends a year and a half in Corinth. He's tent making by day, preaching by night. And on the weekends... Uh, there was a gift that was brought to him which allowed him to, to teach and preach full-time during this process. And uh, then he drops Priscilla and Aquila off at Ephesus, makes a circle back, and returns to the church in Antioch. About two and a half years total time for this second missionary journey. I'd like us to focus this morning in just the next 15 minutes here or so on verses 9 through 17. Notice verse 9 and 10, and we're going to come back to this. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I'm with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. Those are the two verses that grabbed me. When I read this chapter 18, you know, it was all very interesting, but there was something very emotional about those two verses. You know, Why did God give Paul a vision? Why did he give him this vision? I mean, why do you tell someone not to be afraid? 
We tell someone not to be afraid because they're afraid. And so this was, I just think this was a very powerful moment for Paul. And it helps us understand here. Paul was a great man, but he was not Superman. He had very real emotions going on. And uh, as we see in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, he says, when I came to you, he's talking about the church in Corinth, he says, I came with great fear and trembling. This is the Apostle Paul. He said, I, I came to you with great fear and trembling. I'll talk a little bit in just a little bit about maybe why that was. But as a result of this vision and as a result of Paul staying, it says that in verse 11, Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Well, what happens as he's there is, and uh, you know, as we look at this vision, perhaps one of the reasons why God gave this vision to Paul was because there was another attack coming up. Paul had known what had happened previously in the cities he'd gone to. And so maybe it was just to kind of give Paul confidence in the midst of that, but sure enough, the Jews got together, they created a unified attack against Paul, and they brought him before, we see here in, uh, in the text there, that they brought him before the proconsul. This guy's name was Galileo, and they brought him in, and they were expecting Galileo to do something, and you know, Galileo looks at him and says, hey, if you guys are bringing me some misdemeanor or something on our books or some kind of serious crime, but he said, you're just, you're just rifling about words here. He said, I don't even want to hear it. And he threw the thing out. And as you know, it's kind of interesting that the original leader of the synagogue, who was Crispus, had gotten converted. So they had to replace him. And they replaced him with this guy named Sosthenes. And so, after this, you know, evidently Sosthenes was the one that headed this thing up, and it obviously didn't go the way the Jews wanted it to. Now they had set a, you know, they'd set a precedent for, you know, wanting to bring things against this Christian movement in the community. And so Sosthenes here is this guy, and, and he gets beat up right outside the courtroom. They evidently didn't like how he handled it, and so they beat him up, and, and Paul's, I'm sure Paul's there going, hey, you know, hey man, I really feel for you. I've been there. Maybe I'm glad it's you this time and not me, but Paul knew what it was like. And so this guy gets beat up. And you, you may not catch this, but I think this is kind of a really cool little thing. I want to read to you just... The first verse of 1 Corinthians 1, listen to this. Paul, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother, Sosthenes. So this guy got converted. And maybe the Jews threw him out. I, I'm, I'm guessing Paul picked him up. If you saw in the little video, you saw Paul kind of talking to that guy. Evidently, Paul came alongside him. And this guy became one of the believers. So now they've lost two of the synagogue leaders to the Christian movement. I want to focus in on this vision this morning. Here's a little phrases that just catch our eye. Number one, in this vision, the first thing that God says to Paul is, He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Paul had been beaten to within an inch of his life. He had been stoned in the previous cities. And 
he came into Corinth with fear and trembling. Again, Paul was not, not he was he was a normal human being like you and I. I remember when I was a 17-year-olds and we got in a car accident, head-on collision, on on the way to a wedding in Iowa, and I remember by the grace of God, uh, we were all we all survived that. By the grace of God, this young 17-year-old. Uh, survived. It was just a miracle. I think I've told you the story before. He's a, he's a guy that hit his head on, flew out through the windshield, ended up in the other ditch with the whole steering column still in his hands. Not a scratch on his body. And we all survived that. But I remember coming back and every car we met, I would jump. Every car we met, we would just, it would just jump. It was just an a, a automatic reflex. And when you go from city to city and, and you're stoned and you're beaten and you're put in jail in stocks, you know, Paul's got those human responses and, and evidently by this time he comes and, and he comes to this very immoral city where the Jews are very abusive and, you know, he's thinking, what's going to happen to me here? And God says, you know what, Paul? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. And so it's... You know, it's very, this is very powerful because fear is one of the most powerful emotions in our lives. Fear is that thing that keeps us from doing the things we ought to do and keeps us from doing the things that we ought to do. We end up, you know, not, we ended up, or we end up doing things that we shouldn't and we end up not doing things that we should because of this thing called fear. Fear is so powerful in all of our lives. And this is what God speaks to. It was very real in, in Paul's life. You know, as, as a church, there, you know, fear gets in the way of the gospel. I was reading this week that in September of this last year there was it was called uh, it was called inviting your friends back to church. It's called Back to Church Sunday. And it was a movement in Britain and on September 10th of this last year, uh, there were 600,000 people invited back to church. And what they discovered was that 80% of all church members are afraid to invite people to church. Across denominations, 80% are afraid to invite neighbors, friends, and people to church. And so fear is a, is a very very powerful force in, in all of our lives. Paul's just like us. He loved a warm meal and a soft bed. And uh, it hadn't been that experience for him in many of, of these towns. So, God knows what Paul needs to hear. And he says, Paul, do not be afraid. What are you afraid of this morning? What's that fear going on in your life? Because I know God spoke this to Paul, but we need to hear these words being spoken to us. Uh, When God comes to you and says, don't be afraid, what is he talking about in your life? Well, God knows our tendency towards fear, and he also knows our tendency to quit talking when it puts us at risk. And so the next thing he says to Paul is, uh, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be quiet. Keep on speaking. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. God wants him to keep on speaking. 
I would have loved to have heard Paul speak. You know, Paul didn't have a pat, you know, these are the four spiritual laws, four steps, you know, peace to God. Those things are fine, but it says Paul reasoned and debated and argued and pleaded with people in terms of the Gospel. And so, God is telling Paul here, don't quit talking. You know, Paul was very interactive with the, with the people in, the, in his day. There was very lively interaction here going on between Paul and the people in his day. And it always came around to the Gospel. And so, as, as you know, as we do this our April challenge, and was, as we seek to reach out with the, in our community with, with these baskets, you know, we want to do this, and we want to do this on an ongoing basis. But the end game is always an opportunity to share the Gospel. It's, that's always the end, because there is salvation through no other. And so, Paul here is just admonished to keep speaking, because without speaking, we do not hear. So Paul's told not to be afraid. He's told to keep on speaking. And, and here's a line that I love. And we find it from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end. And he says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking because I am with you. I'm with you. Just watch a little clip here up on the wall as we reflect on fear and God's admonishment to be with us. would tell me that over and over when I would wake up from a nightmare as a child. They would hold me close and say, don't be afraid. I am here. You have nothing to fear. I wanted so desperately to believe them, but I couldn't. You see, grown-ups can't see the monsters anymore. So when my mom would close the door to my room, the darkness would invade like a snake crawling towards me to wrap itself around me. And as the light disappeared, I felt my courage disappearing with it. And I would lay in that bed terrified, terrified of the monsters that I knew were coming for me. I wish I could tell you that I've outgrown my fear of monsters. But the truth is now there are still nights that I lay in bed terrified. Terrified of monsters like failure and rejection and financial pressure or the unthinkable thought of something or someone harming my children. When I read my Bible for comfort, I hear God telling me over and over again the same things that I tell my children when one of them wakes up from a nightmare. It's as if God is holding me close and saying, Shh, I'm right here. Don't be afraid. You have nothing to fear. You are safe. And I want so desperately to believe Him. But then there's another voice a darker voice, 
that whispers, what does he know? He's God. He can't feel fear. He can't see the monsters. In that moment, I have a choice to make. Which voice am I going to listen to? Which voice will I trust? the words that we hear over and over and over again. Genesis 26 to Abraham. Abraham, I will be with you. I know you're going into a land you don't know. I will be with you. Jacob, being called back to the land of his fathers. Genesis 31. Jacob, I will be with you. Moses. We know the story of Moses. I mean, time and time and time he keeps telling Moses this. Moses, I will be with you. Moses says, God, I don't have the ability to do this. Moses, I will be with you. Joshua. Moses is... His life is ending. And Joshua is being given the mantle, so to speak. Things are being passed on. Let me just read those words in verse 5. He says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's God's promise to His people. To Solomon, when he was following in the footsteps of David, he said, Solomon, listen to me. I will be with you. And now to Paul, what does he say? He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking, for I am with you. I am with you. You and I, whenever we are afraid, God says, I am with you. And that's all we need to know. That's all Paul needed to know. He didn't know what the outcome was. He just needed to know that God was with him and that he was sufficient. The Lord adds, Paul, you will not be harmed. Why? Because I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. I love that line. There was something that grabbed me about that line. And I think God has a word for us this morning. Certainly, we can all apply not to be afraid. The importance of sharing His gospel. I think God's saying to us, I have many people in this city. We just put four stars up this morning. Four people that God had ordained in this city. And, you know, who are the rest of those people? I believe they're out there, and, and I really believe that this is God's Word to us. As we move into these next months and months, as we seek to, to really become more relevant to our community and minister in our community, and to begin to pray for God to move in our community, I would just challenge each one of us to, to hear this, to get this picture from God that He has people in this community. One of them might be right around this circle here. And that God has those people. We don't have to, you know, we just need to be willing to go in the power of God's Spirit and love people and, and go with the Gospel. And God will find those people. He knows who they are. 
And I would just challenge you in Mosinee and Wittenberg and Hatley and Weston, Ringo, Wausau, Rib Mountain, Schofield, Rothschild, Cronenwetter, who are those people that God has? That's the challenge. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we hear those words because they, they ring through to us as your church as they did to Paul. We need not be afraid that you desire us to keep speaking, that, that you are with us and you have many people in this city. Lord, they haven't all been reached. You have given us a fresh vision to reach out. And so, Father, as we go out the door this morning, might we, might we just be mindful that we may run into one of those people this week. So, Lord, we pray to that end. Father, for anyone here today who has come into this place, who is not in relationship to you through Christ, pray that you would open up their heart and their mind to become one of your children today through simple faith in the work of Christ. Father, give us faith, give us courage to see where you're taking us and what you want to do. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.